Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. I know we already said it, but I just want to say way to go. I'm so proud of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you that served our city yesterday, being living proof of a loving God and love KC, all of you online, many of you served your own communities wherever you're watching and worshiping from, and it's not over. So today, tip KC, this is one of the most powerful things we stumbled onto last year in terms of making a real impact. I mean, all over our city, thousands of people at the same time going out and putting God's love on display in a really tangible way. And every once in a while, you figure out something you didn't really know was going to work that well. Well, it did. And I meet people even now from a year ago. Several of you went to a restaurant. Your server was so blown away by your generosity. And that Tip KC card is what brought them here to find Jesus And they're here, and so it works, just putting God's love on display. So this is what you do. Take your group or maybe your family to the restaurant of your choice, have Sunday brunch, Sunday lunch, and then go in big on the tip. Uh, At least double it. If 20% is a normal tip, at least double it or more if you can. And if you have to choose, again, uh, between your kingdom dollars, where you're going to spend them, how you're going to invest them, um, you don't need me to tell you this, but if you need to take those same kingdom dollars that you would have given to Abundant Life this week to support our vision. I want you to take those same dollars and I want you to serve that server and take that money and tip big. Generosity is one of the ways that we put God's love on display in a tangible way. And it's always right to do it anytime, but when we all do it together, the light shines. Thank you for being so generous. We are in the book of Daniel, back in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. We're in part two of a message I actually preached two weeks ago, three Hebrews in the fiery furnace. What do you do when the heat is on? What do you do when you find yourself walking in the fire? And remember, we're doing some extra lessons you won't hear on Sunday mornings, and so if you don't know about them, I've done another lesson in a studio where we really went deeper doctrinally, what is going on in Daniel chapter 3? It actually corresponds to Revelation 13. Nebuchadnezzar, about 585 B.C., is the monarch of the ancient world. The Babylonians are in power, the uncontested superpowers of the ancient world. He's just come back from the third time of besieging Jerusalem. The first time, about 20 years earlier, he brought back Daniel and three Hebrew children known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The first deportees, historically, were these young Hebrew children of royalty. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were among them. And in Daniel chapter 3, he considers himself almost deity. He sets up an image to himself, and he brings thousands and thousands of his governors and administrators back to Babylon to dedicate this image, this idol. And when they hear the music, when they hear the sound of the music, they got themselves a praise band. They're supposed to hit the ground, and they're supposed to worship this image. Picture it with me, if you will. In Daniel chapter 3, thousands of people on the plains outside of this ancient city of Babylon and they're all bowing down except three men are standing. 
And Nebuchadnezzar finds out what's happening. And of course, he has made a threat that anyone that will not worship this image will be thrown alive into a burning, fiery furnace. Do you understand? That's exactly what happens in Revelation 13. There is an image made to a man. And in the coming tribulation, the entire world will worship this image under penalty of death. And in Daniel chapter 3, that's exactly what happens. There's an image made to a man. And the entire world is demanded to worship this image under penalty of death. But there are three men who refused to bow down. Three men stand up and speak up, and now they stand before the most powerful man on earth that has the power of life and death. He says, guys, I'll give you one last chance. If you bow down, we'll act like this never happened, but if you won't, I will throw you alive into this burning, fiery furnace. We pick up the story right here in verse 16. Ready for this? Everybody say, preach on. Okay, here we go. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I mean, we're blameless here. All right, we've served you well. We've been loyal in your administration. And honestly, we don't even need to think about what the answer is. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, if you want to throw us in to this burning, fiery furnace, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. I want you to notice the most important words that come out of their mouth. Our God is able to deliver us, our God will deliver us, but if not, the three most important words that come out of their mouth this day, but even if God does not, that's actually four words, but I paraphrased. <laughs> you see, he is the God of the if not. And let me ask you, do you have a God of the if not? In other words, what they were saying is, we believe God is able to deliver us, we believe God will deliver us, but if not, we're still going to follow our God. Unconditionally, sacrificially, even if it costs our lives personally, obedience is sometimes costly. And these three Hebrews have a, the spiritual maturity, and this is one of the marks of spiritual maturity versus spiritual infancy. Like, it doesn't matter what God does. He is able to heal me from this cancer, but if not, I'm still going to follow him. He is able to save my job situation, but if not, I'm still going to worship him. He is able to save my marriage, but even if I lose my marriage, I'm still going to follow him. You see, he is the God of the if not, because our worship of God has nothing to do with what God does or does not do. And I want you to see, listen carefully, the three Hebrews did not express a lack of confidence in God's ability, but rather complete trust in God's sovereignty. You see, that's what the issue is for me and you. When they said, if not, they weren't expressing a lack of trust in God's ability, but rather complete trust in God's sovereignty, meaning if this is God's plan for my life, and this is how he's gonna use my life to get great glory, even though it might be very, very costly, I trust his plan for my life personally. Now here's the reality, y'all. We are all gonna walk through fires in life. Every single one of us are gonna walk through fires in life. The Bible uses fire as a symbol. Sometimes it's a picture, it's a symbol of God's holiness and the holy wrath and judgment of God upon sin. 
But for the child of God, fire in the Bible is not judgment fire, but rather refiner's fire. Meaning God is refining us through these trials of life. The only question is, are you in Christ before you get in the fire? Are you covered in the fire? So I have here a, a fireman's jacket. I wanted to think how I could illustrate this. And so I had, a, I had, a, I had an illustration in mind's eye that I was going to do today. Uh, that included a fireman's jacket. I was going to put on a fireman's coat. And Jeremy Kenyon over at our Independence campus, give a shout out to Jeremy for me over at Independence right now. He is a trained fireman. And so my plan was to put on his fireman's coat, which is flame retardant, and then let somebody blast me with a flamethrower. Seriously. I was really going to. I said before, anything for an illustration, whatever it takes. No cost too high. So fortunately, Jeremy is a trained firefighter. He said, Pastor Phil, this is not a good idea. This may work better than you think. Like, I will literally set my pastor on fire and burn my pastor alive. I don't want that on my record, okay? So, so we didn't do that. But what I do want you to see is you can walk in the fire if you're covered. See, Jeremy's a trained firefighter. He's walked in the fire, literally. And if you're covered, you can walk in the fire. So let me ask you, are you covered in Christ? See, I can walk around with that coat. I could sling it over my shoulder. I, I could put it over my arm, but it's not going to help me at all if I get in the fire. I need to put it on. Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if you're in Christ, you can walk in the fire. And rest assured, we're all going to walk in the fire. Now, there are times you get burned in life. Life is going to burn us all. Because we live in a broken world that's been cursed by sin, which means eventually you're going to get burned. Sometimes they're self-lit fires just by doing something dumb or something sinful. It's called the scars of sin. I have a scar right here on my calf. You can't see it that much now, but at one time you really could. 16 years of age. It's the 4th of July. We're going down the road. My friends and I, they're in one car. I'm in another car. And we're having a bottle rocket war. We're shooting bottle rockets at each other a running gun battle with bottle rockets. We're throwing jumping jacks and firecrackers out the windows. Yes, it was dumb. I had more body than I had brains. I set the entire inside of the car on fire. It was like a fireworks display you will never ever see. In fact, you don't wanna see it personally. I spent three weeks in the hospital, literally. I was burned so badly. Sometimes, the fires we go through are self-lit. It's called the scars of sin that we bear. But there are just as many fires that you walk through not for doing anything wrong, but for doing everything right. Think about that. Here's three Hebrews. They're about to go into the fire, not because they were out of the will of God, but because they're in the will of God. I want you to see that we have this, this soft prosperity theology in modern American Christianity that says, if God really loves me, nothing bad should ever happen to me. And if I really have enough faith in God, then surely he will bless me. And then when we end up in the fire in a painful time of loss or a painful time of disappointment or, or just a painful situation, you know, we, we hear the words of the enemy, oh, God, I mean, God, see... He wants to throw you into the fire. If God really loved you, he wouldn't let your suffering. 
And there's nothing in the New Testament about any of that. In fact, Jesus promised in John 16, 33, you will have tribulation. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be surprised by the, a painful situation like the three Hebrews. We almost walk through the fires of temptation, tribulation, and persecution, but for the child of God, these aren't fires of judgment. These are the refiner's fire. God is refining our faith to conform us more and more to the image of his son so that we grow from infancy spiritually to maturity spiritually. It was the apostle Peter that put it this way. As he was writing in the ancient days of Christianity to a suffering church that were suffering deeply under the fires of Roman persecution, persecution and a fire of hostility toward the gospel and a fire of tribulation. He wrote these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has begotten us again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by faith, ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. I said, in this you greatly rejoice. Thank you. Two of us were happy that we have this incorruptible, undefiled inheritance in heaven. That's awesome. Yes. Peter's saying, in this you greatly rejoice. I mean, we have the sweet by and by, and it's going to be sweet in the sweet by and by. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. But Peter says, but, 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 there's a but. Right now, we don't live in the sweet by and by. We live in the nasty now and now. 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, if need be, you are grieved through various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory Jesus Christ at his appearing. See, Peter is referring to these as the refiner's fire. As a goldsmith would take the gold and pass it through the fire to refine it, uh, to make it purer, to make it better, more beautiful, to make it moldable. He's in the same way our faith must go through the fires of life. To refine our faith, to make it a thing that's more beautiful, more usable, more moldable, that can bring God greater glory. And there's no great glory without going through the fires of suffering. And so I want you to see what the application is today for you and me. We're all going to go through the fiery furnace. Nobody can avoid it. We all must walk through it through times in our life. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And there's going to be a time in your life, if not yet, that you're going to go into this burning, fiery furnace, a furnace of tribulation, a furnace of persecution, a furnace of temptation, 
What do you do when the heat is on? What do you do when the flame is hot? I want you to see what you do. Church, here we are, Daniel chapter 3, the very famous story of the three Hebrews in the fiery furnace. Now you understand we all have to walk through fires in life, fires of tribulation, fires of temptation, fires of persecution, but let's just be perfectly honest. A lot of fires we start all by ourselves. Some of the fires we start are through maybe making ungodly decisions, sometimes sinful decisions, sometimes just plain stupid decisions that we really weren't wise when we made. Fires as it relates to finances or relationships or family or marriage. Listen, when we walk against God instead of walking with God, we're walking away from God and it will always lead to fiery trials in our life that we set for ourselves. But here's the reality. Some fires you have to walk in, not because you were out of the will of God, but because rather you were in the will of God. That's what happened for these three Hebrews. They were thrown into a fiery furnace, not for doing what was wrong, but for doing what was right. But here's the teaching. Listen, Jesus himself was in the fire with them. You see, God will not always save you from the fire, but he will save you through the fire. But the key is to make sure that you are in Christ before you get into the fire. Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's the deal. I, I can walk around with this fire retardant coat. I can clutch it. I can carry it. I can throw it over my shoulder, but it won't do me any good when I get in the fire. If I want to be protected in the fire, I've got to get in the coat. I've got to put on the coat. I've got to be wrapped completely in this coat. And once I'm wrapped completely in this coat, now I am protected while in the fire. And remember, there are fires that you have to walk in because you did what was right, not because you did what was wrong. Isaiah 43 verse one says, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your savior. All right, that was a better idea than taking a direct hit from the flamethrower, yes? Here's the deal. Jeremy is a trained firefighter. Do you understand in the body of Christ, we all need to be trained firefighters? See, Jeremy was there that day to walk me through what to expect. And the reason God lets you go in the fire is that someday you can go back and help others through that same fire. The only question is this, are you in Christ? Are you covered? And, and the second thing is this, are you in community? I want you to know something. In the book of Daniel, you never see a mention of Shadrach by himself, Meshach by himself, Abednego by himself. They're, they're a trio. They always are together. They had community in the fire, and they were covered in the fire. Don't try to go through the fire alone. Don't try to go through the fire solo. And that's what is so important about the body of Christ, that you have community. If you don't, you can still come here among all these other people and live in anonymity. We want to help you into community to find your people. And this is what they had going for them. They didn't stand alone. They stood with others. They didn't go into the fire alone. They went in the fire with others. You see, they were covered 
and they had community, and that is how you walk through the fire. That's how you walk in the fire. And every single one of us eventually will go down into the fire. And I want to show you three things today God wants to do in your life through this fire of suffering, through this time of tribulation, a time of persecution, whatever it might be. Number one is this, you gain God's presence. You gain God's presence in the fire in a tangible way. You see, as a child of God, so much of what we know about Jesus is intellectual, it's theoretical, it's theological, but it's in the fire that it becomes experiential. I want you to see what happens next. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? And they answered and said, true, O king. Good job, king, you can count to three. Look what he says. Look, he answers, I see four loose walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt and the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Good guess, Nebuchadnezzar, because it was the son of God. Now understand, he's a pagan king. He has no concept of Jesus. He's never been to Sunday school. He's a pagan man that worships multiple gods. So in your translation, it might be translated like the sons of God or one of the sons of God. But he's using his best language that he has with the limitation of his language to express what he's seeing. In some way, this fourth figure is clearly not just a man. This is like the son of God. And that's exactly who it was. It's what theologians call a theophany. It's Christ before the manger. Remember, Jesus is from everlasting to everlasting. He's the second person of the Trinity. He is deity. And in this moment, in 585 BC, he is in the fiery furnace with these three godly Hebrews for the obedience that is costly. You see, I want you to understand that God has not promised to save you from the fire, but rather save you in the fire. And that's what happens to these three Hebrews. God had not kept them from the fire, but he was in fact saving them in the fire because it's God himself who gets into the fire with you. You experience him now in a way that you never could if you never ever had to suffer. Jesus said these words in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. You understand that is a promise that if you are in Christ, you can be an overcomer even when you suffer because Christ suffered but Christ overcame. He never promised to keep you from suffering but rather you can be an overcomer in the suffering. And I'm sharing this this morning because the American church has very little theology on suffering. Very weak, shallow theology on suffering. See, we've somehow been taught even not directly, indirectly, because we live in this bubble of prosperity where we're really good at controlling our lives and really good at insulating ourselves from suffering, that we don't really know how to handle it when we actually have to suffer. And I want you to see that God is teaching us something that the reality is that to suffer greatly is to know the Savior experientially. To know him deeply would be an impossibility were it not through suffering. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.10. Look at what he says. That I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now I want you to notice, the apostle Paul wasn't saying he doesn't know him. By this time in his life, he knew him. He was a Christian. He was a follower of the living God. What he was saying, though, is that I want to know him more deeply. I want to know him more intimately. But you cannot know him deeply if you don't take part in the fellowship of his sufferings. There's something about suffering that draws you into the presence of God in a way that is more tangible than simply theological and theoretical. Uh, Trained firefighters in our church everywhere. Monica Alexander is one of them. And I appreciate the emails I received this past week. In my Easter message, I shared a really, really painful loss in my life that frankly is harder than I thought it would be. Losing my father, and that's not near the hard loss that many others have suffered. I cannot imagine losing a child. But Aaron and Monica Alexander don't have to imagine it. And two and a half years ago, their little toddler wandered out of the house, fell into a pond, and he drowned. And all our whole church prayed for Axel. We, we believed God would deliver Axel. We really believed and prayed, believing that God would raise him up, that he would survive, but he didn't. He's in heaven. He's now healed in heaven. And Monica reached out to me last week after hearing my message as a trained firefighter that has a PhD in suffering. And she emailed me about some of her experience with, with loss and painful loss. And here's what she said. Here's one of the things that stuck out to me. While we hold tight to the promises in the word, I think the real gift in grief is the peace that surpasses all understanding. To your point, I've never experienced heaven personally, but I've found peace in the greatest loss of life, and I can't explain how that happened. I've learned it doesn't take away the pain, the sadness, or the anger, but it does shorten the time spent in those moments, and it reduces their impact. You see, what she's experiencing is the promise of John 16, 33. So you can memorize this verse. I memorized it years ago. But have you, have you ever lived in this verse? See, here's the promise of Jesus. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. See, in the presence of God is the peace of God. In church, as a child of God, you have peace with God. But a lot of us lack the peace of God. And what she's experienced in the middle of this pain is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And I always want to challenge you with this, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is all throughout the New Testament. It's a command to thank God for all things, even the hard things. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. It tells us to make our request known to God with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. That the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. In other words, your thoughts and emotions will be guarded by Christ as you are in Christ when you make your prayer and your praise known to God with thanksgiving. I challenged somebody this week going through a difficult time. 
I want you to text me five things that you're thankful for as soon as you get out of bed in the morning, five things you're going to thank God for that day that you have to be thankful for. And then I'm going to text you back five things that I'm thankful for. See, this is how you battle the depression. This is how you battle the darkness. Our worship is the warfare, and the warfare is in our worship. When you're thanking God for what you do have instead of being focused on what you don't have. This is how you do it. This is how you apply that promise of having peace in the presence of God. You see, in the fire is the presence of God, and in the fire then is the peace of God, but it doesn't end there. You gain the power of God. It's in the fire that you gain God's resurrection power. Look at what happens next in verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Yeah, God's got his attention now. You want to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. It's not praising God simply when things are going great and you're living in the spout where the glory comes out. And God is amazing. I got a promotion. Oh, I just got back from this amazing vacation. No, it's when you can glorify your God, even through times of pain and suffering. That's when we put God's on display. And this is what they've done. God's got the attention of this old pagan king. He says, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps and administrators and governors and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power, and the hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. This is what we call a miracle. You see, God's power is in the fire, it's in the fire that you experience God's resurrection power. Here's the reality, nobody wants to purposely embrace pain. Yes, beat me please, somebody beat me. No, the reality is Jesus did say to take up your cross to follow him. Every single one of us is gonna carry a cross. Every single one of us as a child of God will bear a cross. And a cross was a place of pain. A cross was a place of suffering. A cross is a thing of agony. Jesus was teaching, if you'll take up the cross, if you will embrace the crucifixion, you will experience on the other side of the crucifixion the power of the resurrection. That's what Monica has experienced in Aaron. God offers that power to every single one of us. The biggest miracle is not always that God saves you from the fire and comes riding in just in time to save the situation. No, it is just as big a miracle when you can walk through the fire and live in the fire. And that's what God is teaching us through these Hebrews, that it's in the fire that you get the presence of God, you get the peace of God, and you start to live in the power of God. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now, we would love to live in the first two lines of this verse, wouldn't we? We want to know him and live in the power of his resurrection, yes. The problem is you don't get the first two lines if you don't embrace the second two lines. <laughs> The fellowship of his sufferings being conformed even to his death. See, this is what God is trying to do in the refining fires of suffering. It's the fire that works in our lives greater humility. 1 Peter 5 and verse 5, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And it's humility that finally redeems us from our self-sufficiency so that we confess now our absolute dependency. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me you can do nothing. 
And you see, when you start living in complete dependency, that is what begins to foster in your life the grace of God, and it's the grace of God now that gives way to living in the power of God. This is something I've had to learn over 22 years of ministry, guys. Listen, there was a time in my life, I look back over the, over the younger Phil, the younger pastor Phil, quite frankly, and I realized that I believed in grace intellectually, certainly theologically. I wasn't really sure I needed it that bad. I know I needed grace to get into heaven, but I'd never encountered anything in life that I needed grace to get through the day. So I come from a certain mold. I mean, I come from a place of, you know, I, I was raised on John Wayne. True grit. That's a classic if you've never seen it. The remake's actually better than John Wayne's. I'm glad he's not here to hear me say that. No, it's grit, guts, meaning if you want to bad enough, you can push through anything. You can power through anything. You can white knuckle it. You can grit your teeth. You can get through it. Quit being a poochy lip. Quit being a wimp. Come on. Rub some dirt in it. That took me through about 12 years of ministry. Grit, guts. In the last 10 years, I've been through some stuff that, quite frankly, I'm still here, not because I'm so gritty, not because I'm so gutty, but I've learned a lot about God's grace. I'm going to finish my race, but it's going to be by God's grace. It's not because I just gritted it out and reached down deep to make it to the end. No, you learn to live on God's grace, and you don't learn to live in God's grace on grits and guts until God alleviates you of self-sufficiency, like I can do this. And honestly, I, I knew other people needed God's grace, but I didn't realize how bad I needed God's grace. And when you start to live in the grace of God, now you're living in the power of God, and you realize now, this isn't me, it's not because I'm so awesome. All of a sudden you realize you're not awesome, but God is awesome. And God really is all sufficient. He really is all that you need. You see, it's in the fire. You get the presence of God. You get the peace of God. You get the power of God. And you get the promotion of God. God wants to promote you. Look at what it says in verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Nebuchadnezzar is not exactly a choir boy yet. He hadn't quite become a God follower of the Most High. Now he will in the next chapter, chapter 4, but not yet. <laughs> Basically, hey, this is amazing. I have just seen a miracle. Daniel's God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what an awesome God. Nobody can do it like this. In fact, anybody say anything bad about their God, I'll cut you into pieces. Make your house an ash heap. Not quite a Christian yet, not quite a Sunday school kid, but he's getting there. Look what he says next. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I want you to notice something. Listen, the king promoted them because they praised God in the fire. 
And I'm trying to tell you that if you will praise God in the fire, one day your God and King will promote you too. There is a kingdom coming, church, that will outlast the kingdoms of this world. That is the theme of the book of Daniel. Kingdoms rise and fall, but there is one kingdom that is going to last forever. And every single day, by your faithfulness in the moment, you're either gaining promotion in the kingdom or demotion in the kingdom. It will all come out at the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm trying to tell you the goal of life is not to make it all the way through life, having never had to suffer. It's not getting all the way through life without ever having felt any pain. The goal of life is one day to stand in the winter circle at the judgment seat of Christ when you look in the eyes of your king and you'll stand there with the tears of life still in your eyes. You'll stand there bloodied and bruised from the hurts and the heartaches and the headaches of life. But the goal is one day to stand before him and hear those words of Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's the goal of life. This is, how, this is how Monica put it in her email. I like the picture, the loss of Axel, like a cup of suffering I'm carrying in this life. And when I meet Jesus, I get to hand it to him, and he says, well done. Not only do I get to put down this cup permanently, but he will tell me I've served him well and how I carried it. Jesus carried his cross well. He finished the race. You've got a cross that you're going to carry in life. It's a cross of suffering. Let's carry it well for God's great glory. And if you do, in the fire, there's God's presence, there's God's peace, there's God's power, there's God's promotion, and there's God's promise. Here's God's promise, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Our light affliction is before a moment, and it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Here's God's promise, Romans 8, 18. For I consider the suffering of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. If I understand this correctly, to the degree you suffer now, faithfully, is proportional to your future glory in eternity. There's the promise of God. Life is full of suffering. There's gonna be seasons of suffering, times of suffering. Will suffer faithfully for the one who suffered so faithfully at Calvary. Because God's promise is that He will glorify us greatly for having suffered faithfully. I want to pray and then we're going to stand and we're going to magnify His name in the fire. Would you bow with me right there at the other campuses, maybe sitting in your living room? Jesus, I know that many people here are in the fire of suffering, the fire of tribulation, temptation, persecution. And many are suffering in the fiery furnace, not for doing anything wrong, but for doing everything right. Not because they're out of the will of God, but because they're in the will of God, like these three Hebrews. 
And the only question I have now would be this. Are you in Christ? Are you covered? Because if you're in Christ, you know him personally, you can walk in the fire. I pray blessing over this year, bride and body. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.